on the one yard line with their backs against the wall. Hey guys, what's going on and welcome back to the Believe in Iowa State podcast. On this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the defensive signees. In particular, we're going to take a look at the defensive line and we're going to take a look at the linebackers for this year's class. And I kind of want to start out with this. As we get into the defensive line signees, something that comes up a lot in my messages and things like that, a lot of people send me recruit videos, just maybe people from their town, players from their town, or somebody that they found online that they find to be a good player or something, and they say, hey, hey, Silites, how about, would you like to take a look at this recruit? Like, let me know what you think. He's He's from my hometown, or he's from the high school that I went to, or he's from this, that, or the other thing, and I just want to know what you think. And, you know, before... Before when I looked at them, I I I kind of try to paint it like a happy picture, like a good picture. I'd be like, oh man, they can go as far as they want. Just keep working at it, my guy. And you know what? To be honest, that's true. That's true. I, I you never want to underestimate anybody. But I found more and more that I start to give my honest answers on certain some of the guys. Uh I remember, I recall one time somebody sent me a a defensive line prospect that was like five foot eight, like five foot eight, 265 pounds, and they were a defensive line prospect. And I just, I kind of just told the person like, hey, I, I, I know you're trying to get validation that this person is like a D1 prospect, but at five foot eight, they're just, they're just not a D1 prospect. There's just not a D1 prospect at five foot eight. And the person I was talking to was like, Well, how how are you gonna how are you gonna sell him short? Like how how are you going to how are you gonna how are you gonna knock him for his for his height? He can't control that. How are you gonna knock him for that? And it's pretty simple. You know, when we your frame, your the frame of a defensive line that we we've seen this more and more so as Iowa State has gotten better and better. The frame of a defensive lineman and those type of details, all the details, are so much more critical. The better your team gets, all all of those factors become more and more and more of a factor. When I first started following Iowa State recruiting big time, made the and made the Twitter account, all that kind of stuff. Probably the main recruit, the number one recruit that I wanted, probably my first favorite recruit that I ever had. Um maybe second, because the first one was Deontay Gaines. The the second one that I was I penciled in, I'm like, this is the guy. 
this is the guy I want. This guy could be spectacular for us. Was a was a prospect, a JUCO prospect named Demon Tucker. Now Demon Tucker, his freshman year of JUCO, won Defensive Player of the Year in all of JUCO. In the big in the big division of JUCO, there's a couple of divisions of JUCO. In the big division of JUCO, down in Kapia Lincoln, he won Player of the Year on the defensive side throughout the whole JUCO. He was a freshman. Now that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy because a lot of those JUCO guys back then they were going to Auburn, they're going to Alabama, they're going any SEC. They're going blue bloods, the top of the top guys. And this guy, Demon Tucker, won Player of the Year as a freshman, basically an unheard of prospect. And I was like, I was just enamored by him. You'd watch his tape. He was so quick. He was so twitchy. He's getting off the ball incredibly fast. He was sacking the quarterback. I don't remember how many sacks he had his freshman year. It was insane. And I remember that a guy next to him on the same line had lesser stats than he did. He was also a defensive tackle, just like DeMond. And he was he was getting recruited by all the big-time schools. He's getting recruited by Alabama. He's getting recruited by Auburn. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. His stats aren't that good. His stats aren't that good. Like he should be able to break off these ta- he should be able to do what Demond does if he's getting all these offers. Why is Demond not getting the offers? That guy went on to I can't remember what SEC school C school he went to, but he went he went to one of the the powerhouse programs of the SEC. And I I can't remember how he did in his career, to be honest. I don't really care. But Demond, his sophomore year, he slipped a little bit. His his stats weren't as good as his freshman year in JUCO, but he still did all right. And man, he was my top recruit that entire time. For that entire class, he was my top recruit. I wanted him so bad. And guess what? Iowa State sealed the deal, and we got him. We got him over some other pretty good-sized schools, but I mean, he didn't have the Ohio States. He didn't have the Alabamas. He didn't have the Auburns. He didn't have the Florida States. He didn't have, you name it, he didn't have those teams, those blue blood teams coming after him. And he decided to sign with Iowa State, partially because of Jordan Harris, who was also a Kapiah Lincoln um, graduate and came to Iowa State a year earlier than DeMond did. And DeMond came and I was I was elated. I thought this is the solution for our defensive line struggles. Because you remember we had we had such defensive line struggles back at the end of the Paul Rhodes era. Where we were bringing guys like the Sack Mamba, Dale Pearson, and Gabe Luna, and a bunch of other guys, that they were good players. I mean, Sack Mamba was man. Dale Pearson, what he's one of those forgotten legends, but he was the entire line. Our line was shot, so we brought in a guy like Demon Tucker, and hoping that he shirt up the line, getting sacks, getting. Tackles for losses, really wreaking havoc. But demand when you look at when you look at the the where what he was supposed to be, he struggled to get there. Now he had good flashes, and he was a good player for Iowa State. He definitely was. I mean, he was a starter. He was he was a solid player for Iowa State. But he he was built up to be that flashy, incredible, sack-making player. 
Him and Dale Pearson were supposed to wreak havoc for for a year because they were Juco guys. They were only going to be here for a year together. And that never came to fruition. And when I, I, I it was puzzling to me because I was so frustrated because I wanted DeMond Tucker to be so good, so good, so good. And that just never, it, it never came to be. Now, DeMond is one of my favorite, he's one of my favorite guys to ever come to Iowa State. He's a great guy. He worked hard, hard, hard. The issue that he ran into was he was like five foot eleven, maybe even five ten. For a five ten, five eleven guy to keep on three hundred pounds. I mean, I'm five ten. I'm five or I'm five ten. If I was three hundred pounds, like I, I don't know how much amount of muscle I would need to be three hundred pounds. It'd be you'd have a lot of bad weight, a lot of bad weight. For him to gain the weight that he would need in order to not be pushed around by Oklahoma offensive linemen, Texas offensive linemen, Kansas State offensive linemen, Iowa offensive linemen, he would need to be about 300 pounds, 305 pounds. And in order for him to get there, he would have to sacrifice his athleticism, he would have to sacrifice his mobility, he would have to sacrifice everything. And that's not a good position to be in. Also... When you're, when you have guys who are five foot ten, and wreaking havoc in JUCO in high school, they're going up against JUCO and high school players. When you come to the Big Twelve, everybody's athletic. Everybody's one of the top players on their high school team, one of the top players on their JUCO team, and when you step on the field, those are the top guys in the whole university. Think about the guys those teams are bringing in. And these are the best ones that they're putting out there. When you have a 5'10 guy, 5'11 or whatever he was, at 300 pounds, he's going to be slow. He's not going to be able to get off the ball quick. He's not going to be able to... He will be able to get leverage, but he's he just has such a severe disadvantage than the other players on the field when they're going up against a six foot seven, 350 pound offensive tackle that is faster and quicker than you. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And that's what you see on the whole defensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, the size of the player, the frame of the player is so important. Also the speed of the player, but the size and the frame it's kind of a mandatory requirement to have. And before, I, I didn't see it that way. Before, I was like, let the players play. Let the best ones get on the field. Now, I, I still believe that. But the frame, now there are some exceptions, but the frame is very important. The size of a guy is very important. His athleticism at that size is very, it's critical. It's very important. Because when you're playing defense, Everybody covers a part of the field. You have parts of the field and where you go. If your wingspan is not long enough, you might miss a guy. Where you could have gotten a hand on him, you might have only gotten a finger on him with a shorter wingspan. And that's, you can understand what I'm saying. For offensive skill players like running backs and wide receivers, whatever size, give me whatever size. I just want a guy who can get out in space and be quicker and elude tackles. 
be able to catch the ball. But when you're dealing with offensive linemen, when you're dealing with people who have to be physically dominant to be successful, which is what a defensive player is, which is what an offensive lineman player is, you have to be physically more dominant than the other player that you're playing against. It's important to have the size, to have the strength. When I take a look at these two defensive line recruits, they are, pro- they are what we look for in a prototypical sense. When we look for a defensive line recruit now, we look for a guy that's basically no shorter than six foot three. And that's for probably the nose guard. Any of the defensive, any of the defensive like tackle positions or the the defensive end position, the edge rushers, we're looking for somebody who's six foot four or taller, probably closer to six foot five, which is what these guys are. Because when we're playing the three three five stack, we need guys with length. We need guys that can that can that can seal up the line of scrimmage, and you want guys with length and good burst to be able to stop the running back at the line of scrimmage. It's important. If you have four down linemen, it's a little bit easier to stuff the run on the line because you have four guys there. You don't have every you don't have two guys being double teamed. Let's start out with Jace Gilbert. Jace Gilbert is from Arrowhead High School in Wisconsin. He's six foot five, two hundred and seventy pounds. He was the first commitment of this class. And I tell you what, the day that he committed, I was having a rough day. <laughs> I was having a rough day. And when I saw that he committed, I was elated. I was like, man, I really needed this one today. I really needed this one because this guy, this guy is a really, really good player. What brought him to Iowa State is his love for Will McDonald. That's one of the things that brought him here. He loves Will McDonald. Loves him as a player. He's his favorite player. And you know what? He, he's one of those guys that I look at that I'm like, this is, this is the new era of Iowa State football. Because before we were bringing in defensive line recruits that were six foot one, defensive ends that were six foot one, six foot two, 220 pounds. And we had to build a defensive end that could both rush the passer and stuff the run and could be a physical force. Jace Gilbert is already that. Jace Gilbert is one of our best recruits of this cycle. He got first team all state this year. I think he got first team all state last year, but he's first team all state and he goes to a powerhouse high school uh, in Arrowhead where guys like Sam Seam Buckner, Chandler Pulvermacher and a couple other guys have gone. It's a very good high school in Wisconsin. The thing that I really like about him is when I look at him, I can see where he will be successful in this defense. He may not have the burst and the freakish athleticism that Will McDonald has, but that's what made Will McDonald a first-round talent. But when you look at Jace Gilbert, he's 270, six foot five, 270 pounds, and he moves incredibly well. Incredibly well. He's one of the best defensive line recruits that we've ever gotten. 
And what I like about him is he does both run stuffing and pass rushing very, very well. He's very fluid with his movements. He has a good wingspan. And a guy who I would kind of compare him to in the NFL, and I know that probably not most of you really know much about this guy's game, but if you watch the Bengals, he reminds me of Trey Hendrickson from the Bengals. Now, Trey Hendrickson is not the most flashy of pass rushers. He's not the most flashy of edge guys that you'd be like, oh my gosh, he's not like a Micah Parsons or a a Khalil Mack or something where it's like, oh my gosh, look at all the sacks that he's getting. But what Trey Hendrickson does very, very well is he's always in position. He's always a factor on every single play. And that's what I see with Jace Gilbert. And Trey Hendrickson is one of the best defensive linemen in the entire NFL. And what I see with Jace Gilbert is I know that every play, he is going to be a factor in the play. Not only because he works hard and he's a hard hard worker and his work ethic, but because when you look at him, he has the moves. He has the size. He has the speed. He has the length. He has the bend. He has all the tools that you need to be a successful defensive end in the Big 12. Where a lot of opposing offensive linemen are going to be thinking the whole, whole entire game. How do we attack this guy? How do we stop this guy? Because smaller guys like Will McDonald, you could just get a bully on him. And if you, know, if you luckily got two hands on him, you maybe could stuff him. Now, that was very rare. But Will McDonald... His weakness was his strength. Other guys like Jaquan Bailey, his weakness was he wasn't as quick as most pass rushers. He was very strong and he had good moves, but he wasn't as quick. The the offensive line could compensate. When I look with Jace Gilbert, there's really not many weaknesses with his game. He doesn't run off crazy behind the line of scrimmage, just trying to get around the guy. He's very tight to what he's supposed to do. He follows instructions really, very, very well. He's always in the right spot. And once we got this guy to commit, the first commitment, I was like, there it is. That's it. You know, that's such an impressive way to kick off the class. And we did it with Jace Gilbert. Another guy that I want to talk about is Elijah Carnell. Late commitment, committed last weekend. He's from Bishop Gorman High School out of Nevada. He's six foot five, 280 pounds. And you know what I love about him? <laughs> he wears 58. He might not know what 58 means, but you know what? Hopefully, it's a precursor for what's to come. We, and the thing that I would start out with saying with Elijah, and we'll get to, you know, his play style in a minute. We didn't need a defensive tackle in this class. Now that might sound like an, an indictment on him, but more it's, it's speaking about how, how good of a prospect he is. We did not need a defensive tackle in this class. But if the right one were to come around, we'd absolutely take him. And here we are with Elijah Carnell. 
When I look at Elijah Carnell's tape, I see a guy who's, he's pretty raw. He's pretty raw and he has some development to do, but you know what? That's every high school kid. But when I look at him, I'm like, he has all of the tools to be a very, very special player at Iowa State. He's in, he's six, being six foot five at the defensive tackle spot. There's a lot we could do with that. He has a very long wingspan, very good athleticism. He carries 280 pounds extremely well. You would not guess that he's 280 pounds. Now, I expect him to get up to about 320 pounds, and that's probably where he'll play. But at six foot five, with the such long wingspan and the athleticism that he has, I think that he could develop to be a pretty special player at Iowa State. When we brought him in, and he got the offer last weekend. Last weekend, and Matt Campbell said it. Matt Campbell said it, and we'll talk about it later in the episode too. Matt Campbell said in his press conference that last weekend, the official visit that we had with the five guys, we'll, be, we'll look back and see that it might be one of the most critical weekends in Iowa State history. One of the most important weekends in Iowa State history. And I think he might be right. Because a guy like Elijah Carnell, for him to go un, basically unnoticed at Bishop Gorman, I look and I go like USC and Texas and all those other schools. They're, what are they doing? Why are they missing this? Elijah Carnell is the prototypical defensive tackle that you bring into your program and you work him up for a couple years. I mean, and, and, and he becomes a superstar. I mean, we saw it this year with uh, that Tervandre Sweat guy. Tervandre Sweat from uh, uh, Texas, who won a bunch of awards, who's probably the best defensive lineman in the country this year. I mean, when he came into when he came into college, he was like six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds or something like that, two hundred and sixty pounds. Just an just a raw, raw athletic talent with a ton of potential. And by his fifth year, he was the best player, the best defensive player in the country. But those programs they don't want to wait anymore. They don't want to develop anymore. A guy like our Elijah Carnell, I see when he comes in, if he puts in the work, if he puts on the weight, and he really gets nose to the grindstone, I think Elijah Carnell, it might take a year or two, and it usually does for most offensive line guys, to get up to weight, to get up to physicality. I think Elijah Carnell, in a couple of years, could be a really, really special player for Iowa State, just based on his side and his athleticism and his wingspan and his length and all of the tangibles that you look for. And I hope that he has the intangibles as well. Because if he works hard, man, he could be a really special player for Iowa State. A player that I think of when I look at Elijah Carnell um, is, if you watch the 49ers, he reminds me a lot of Eric Armstead. Just incredible length. Very precise player. You can tell that Eric Armstead, he, he has that... That, that all pro potential in him. 
He hasn't really found it in the NFL, but when he's at Oregon, he was really chopping it up. And I think that that's a guy that you, if, if you watch the 49ers and you take a look at Eric Armstead, I think that's a lot of what Elijah Carnell will look like. Okay, so let's talk about some linebackers. And before I really get into kind of summing up this group, I just want to say that this might be the best position group of this class. Now, that's very tough because I think the tight ends are great. I think the running back's great. I think the offensive line's great. But, and we'll talk in the next episode about what I think about the defensive backs. But the linebacker group, the core linebacker group, might be the best group in this whole entire class. I still have yet to decide. (laughs) I'll figure it out by the time I do the superlative episode. But this group might be the best group. I want to say that up front. But in order to tell the story of this class with the linebackers and everything that happened, I think the most important place to start is to talk about the importance of in-state recruiting. And now most of you will go, wait wait a second, in-state recruiting? We only have one guy from in-state and he decided to commit last weekend. Well, you hear it from every single college football coach, head coach. You hear from them every year. They talk about the importance of in-state recruiting. Now, recruiting has gone national. Georgia's recruiting guys from California. Washington's recruiting recruiting guys from Florida. The whole country is recruiting the entire country now. It's much more spread out. It's much more much more accessible to do so. But every single head coach in college football, will tell you the importance of in-state recruiting. The reason why I bring that up is because when we start our cycle, when we start each cycle, we take a look at the in-state prospects. Every every college takes a look at the in-state prospects. What do we have? So in that way, we know we can try to get those guys and we can understand what other options we need to look for. You want to take the low-hanging fruit. That's always a good that's all always a good way to go about your life, any life. Take the low-hanging fruit. Take the low-hanging wins, take the low-hanging help, take the low-hanging fruit. This class, this the in-state linebacker recruits for this class, there are three pretty good ones and three pretty good ones known relatively early. In their, college, in their high school football careers. All three of them committed to the University of Iowa. Now, one of them committed like right after his freshman season was done. The other two committed during their sophomore seasons. These guys were Hawkeyes for life. I mean, these guys were total born and bred black and gold football players there's nowhere else they could have gone if they were offered by Ohio State they wouldn't have gone if they were offered by Alabama Texas A&M they probably wouldn't have gone they would have gone to Iowa no matter what you know how it is if you're a recruiting fan for the Iowa State Cyclones you know how that goes if an Iowa fan an Iowa born and bred football player gets offered from Iowa there's really not much you can do And it really stinks. 
But that's the reality that we lived in. The reality was that there were three pretty good recruits, pretty good, three pretty good linebacker recruits in the state, and they all chose Iowa during at, before or during their sophomore season. I mean, you don't really get that many linebacker recruits in the state to begin with, and if all of them choose Iowa, it's an uphill climb to make a good class. Before it would have been impossible. But with like a Paul Rhodes or a Gene Chizik, it would have been impossible to put together a good class for linebackers. If all three guys in the state at the time that were high caliber recruits chose Iowa, it would have been difficult. So I say that when I say that we have a special class here. It, it's a testament to even more so of this recru- recruiting staff and the coaching staff that they were able to put a class together like this. It's a really sp- we can't kind of what it it kind of reminds me of the story of Christmas to be honest. And it's the Christmas that I look at. You know, a lot of people when they talk about Christmas, obviously it's the birth of Jesus. And I don't I'm not going to get religious here. I'm not going to tell you whatever whatever affiliation it is. That's perfectly fine with you. That's perfectly fine with me. I, it, I, I, all I'm talking about is the story of Christmas, where over time I've looked at the story of Christmas a little bit different. I used to look at the story of Christmas from Jesus's perspective, like I used to look at recruiting from the recruits' perspective. Now, as I've gotten older, I don't necessarily look at the story of Christmas from Jesus's perspective. He was a baby and he had a little party. I look and and I don't look at the recruiting from the recruits perspective either. All the good news comes to them. They're getting the offers, they're getting the visits, they're getting this that and the other thing. I now look at the story of Christmas from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. As now I look at the the recruiting perspective recruiting perspective from the perspective of the coaches and what they have to go through and the hurdles that they have to overcome i mean when you get when there's three pretty notable recruits early on in their high school career that are kind of like okay these guys are pretty good they can play in college and they all go somewhere else it makes it incredibly difficult also it makes it incredibly difficult for you to recruit the state for other positions because they have the momentum They have the guys that, you know, can reach out to their friends. When you look at the story of Christmas, I mean, think, think about, (laughs) they are, Mary is carrying the son of God, as the story goes, and they're called to go to Bethlehem, and as they're on their way, Mary, (laughs) like, her water breaks, she's having this baby, and Joseph goes, okay, well, we need to find a hotel. We need to find an inn to stay at. And every inn that they knock on the door of, there's no room. Now, when you hear that story when you're a little kid, or maybe even you think of now, you don't think anything of it. But think about how frustrating that has to be. That had to have been for Joseph and Mary. That, oh my gosh, are we going to have this baby in the street? Are we going to have this baby? Where are we going to have this baby? 
because there's no room in the inn. I mean, every single innkeeper is telling them, we don't have room here. There's a census going on. Of course not. Think about how frustrating that must have been. But they stay true to themselves. They stay true to what they believed in, God and themselves. And they made it work. They found a way. It just so happened to be in a donkey barn, in a stable and donkey barn. And they put the baby in a manger. They made it work. That's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas to me is not just about the gift giving. The story of Christmas is you've been put up. Joseph and Mary would put every task in front of them. I mean, that trip must have been difficult too. That trip must have been difficult. They must have been so frustrated. But they persevered. They didn't give up. And they made it work to the best of their ability. And that's what this staff did. And I think this staff will reap the benefits of their perseverance for finding these guys. Because I think all four of these guys, excuse me, all five of these guys could be significant contributors and NFL players someday. Let's get into it. The first guy I want to talk about is Kale Brezina. And when I think of Kale Brezina, he's from Downers Grove North High School. He's six foot three, 220 pounds. And when I think of him, I think of a tough-nosed Chicago linebacker. Downers Grove is a suburb of Chicago in Illinois. And when I think of a Chicago linebacker, I think of guys like Jack Sadowski. Just tough-nosed SOBs. Just going to just wreak havoc. Guys like, basically, when you think of Dick Butkus... Just ripping people apart. And that's that's kind of what Kale Brezina does. Now, Kale Brezina, I believe, will probably be a middle linebacker or an outside, probably a middle linebacker more than an outside linebacker for Iowa State. He's tall, he's lengthy, and he, why I think he will be such a special middle linebacker for Iowa State is our middle linebackers, their first step is forward. Guys like Jack Sadowski, guys like uh, number zero on our team. Gosh, I can't remember what his name is. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Zach Lovett, sorry. Their first step is forward. They're looking at the quarterback. They're looking at the running back. They have their eyes in the backfield to figure out that. Now, obviously, they might drop in coverage in a mi- quickly, but their first step is forward to go at the line of scrimmage, to meet people at the point of attack, meet people in the gap. Kale Brezina is one of those guys. But also, he has an incredibly long wingspan. And he's also, don't just think he's a north and south type guy. He has very good lateral movement. A guy who he reminds me of is Leighton Vander Esch from the Dallas Cowboys. If you turn on the Dallas Cowboys, look up Leighton Vander Esch. That's what he looks like. Just a big physical presence in the middle of the field that doesn't let anybody buy him. Kale Brezina, I remember we, we recruited, we've gotten a couple of linebackers recently. We've got a couple of great ones in the past few classes. And I remember when we, we got Danny Inglis and we got Mason Miller to commit. I was like, okay, well, you know, 
maybe we can take a step back. Maybe we'll only take two linebackers in this class, you know, because we've gotten a couple in the past few classes. Maybe we'll take it easy and only get only get two just to save some room, save some scholarships for some other guys. And I was quickly told, no, 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 no. We're going after Kale Brazina. And I was like, okay. This guy's a special player. This guy is a commander. This guy's a leader. I'm super excited for him to be a Cyclone. The next guy I want to talk about is Mason Miller. He's from Pine Creek High School in Colorado. Six foot two, 225 pounds. Teammates with Bo Freeler in high school. But Mason Miller, his dad is the head coach of that football team. Now, when I see this guy... I see an outside linebacker type of player where he's the best recruit in coverage. He's the best of these linebackers in coverage. He's very fluid moment, and he's really, really good at sealing the edge. I kind of look at him as more of a strong side outside linebacker because he's going to seal the edge. He's going to be the one that's meeting the tight end at the line of scrimmage and stopping the run you want that guy to stop the run he's very good at shedding the blocks as well so he can get off the block and make the tackle but he's very he's he's probably the most complete linebacker of the bunch and he's best at the outside linebacker position because he can seal off that edge he can make and he can shed the tackle shed the block make the tackle he's also great in coverage very fluid motion. Is he the most athletic and the most nastiest? I, I I would say that those belong to other people in this class, but as far as the most complete linebacker, it's probably him. The guy who he reminds me a lot of is AJ Klein. Where AJ was he wasn't I mean he was a great athlete, don't get me wrong. Great athlete. But when you think of like Micah Parsons and when you think of guys like, I don't know, T.J. Watt, and there's been a couple other guys that are just in freakishly athletic, that's not A.J. Klein. But A.J. Klein does everything well. That's why A.J. Klein has had a decade-long career in the NFL, because he's great at sealing the edge, great at shedding blocks, great at making the tackle, but most complete linebacker that you can ask for. That's why A.J. Klein has had such a long career and has started because he's very, very reliable. Mason Miller is one of those reliable uh, linebackers. One of those very reliable prospects. He can also play a little bit of offense. He's not going to play offense for Iowa State. But he's one of those. He, he, that's what you like to see. You like to see football players on your football team. I think Mason Miller is one of the better offensive or the outside linebacker recruits to come to Iowa State, and I'm very excited to see what his development is. The next guy I want to talk about is Danny Inglis. Now, Danny Inglis went to Canfield High School in o Ohio. He's six foot one, two hundred pounds. Believe he won the the his state championship. And when I look at this guy. He's an old-fashioned, Renaissance-style type of football player. Like Bronco Nagurski, Chuck Bednarik, Red Grange. Just all this. That's what I think about when I think of Danny Inglis. He has a great shell time. But the thing about him is he, can, he is a true 
two-sided player. That's why he reminds me of Bronco Nagurski and Chuck Bednarik and Red Grange. He is he is a play-both-ways type of player. He could play running back at probably an FCS school. He's going to play linebacker at Iowa State. He has a great shuttle time. It's like a 10 point, or 4.1. 4.1 in the shuttle time for an outside linebacker, which is what I think he'll translate to, is very, very spicy. You really like to see that shuttle time because that means he has great lateral movement. He has great lateral quickness. He has quick twitch. He's probably the fastest linebacker out of these, these guys. He's a weak side. I, I think he translates best to weak side linebacker, which is kind of that Jerry Vaughn, uh, Jake Hummel position where he's a little bit smaller, but he's a lot faster than the other two guys. I think he, the, the pro player that he kind of reminds me of is Matt Milano from the Buffalo Bills. If you watch the Buffalo Bills, Matt Milano is a really, really, really hard-nosed athletic linebacker. Matt Milano's probably like six feet tall, but that's kind of what Danny Inglis reminds me of. Very athletic, great motor, quick twitch, strong, weak side linebacker with great lateral movement and great tackling ability. He'll clean it up. I think that what uh, what Danny Inglis, one of his underrated qualities was will be his ability to make a tackle out of anything. Some guys are known, like Cale Brzezina is probably going to be known to have the most beautiful form tackles. Him and Mason Miller. But Danny Inglis is going to be the one that kind of cleans it all up. He's, a, he's the cleanup crew. I think all of them have that ability, but Danny Inglis, his tackles were like one arm wrapped around the ankle, get him down in any way, kind of like cowboy lasso them. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. He's a wild man, and I'm very excited to see Danny Inglis come in and compete. I think we haven't had a really athletic linebacker like him in a while, and it will be pretty fun to see what he can do. The last guy I want to talk about, who, man, oh man. So we keep coming back to it. We keep coming back to it. And guess what? We'll come back to it tomorrow. <laughs> that weekend, last weekend, what the heck happened on that official visit? Where did these guys come from? I had never, I got to be honest, I never heard of Bo Goodwin until he committed to Iowa State. I got to be honest, never heard of him. And, you know, as I do, I saw that he got an offer. I saw that he got a scholarship offer. So I was like, okay, well, we've, you know, let's see, let's see how, let's see what he looks like. You know, we, we've, maybe we, we, we needed another, maybe we need another linebacker in this class. Let's see, let's see what Bo Goodwin looks like. And, uh, right before I turned on the tape, I got a text message from somebody who said I was Bo Goodwin's coach in high school. This guy's awesome. <laughs> like this guy is a team player. This guy is, this guy is very motivated. He's hardworking. He's blah, blah, blah. Now 
Normally, if I ask a coach that, they'll give me that. Okay. They'll tell me that everything under the sun. Oh, my gosh. This guy is the fastest player that you've ever seen. This guy is this, that, and the other thing. Oh, he's so strong. He's so low. You know what? It's easy to talk about how lovable and great somebody is when somebody asks you. I'm pretty good at BSing myself. I'm saying, oh, yeah, this person's awesome. But that's that's pretty easy when you get back into a corner to talk about how much you love somebody. When you reach out to somebody, when you reach out to somebody on Twitter to tell somebody how great of a team guy, how much effort this guy gives, what, the guy's attitude, the guy's physical ability, that you've never seen anything like it. When you reach out to somebody, that takes a lot of, there's something there. Especially a stranger, somebody you never talked to before, there's something there. Because, I mean, he already committed. You don't need to convince me. You don't need to convince me that he's good. He's already committed to Iowa State. You don't need to convince me. So I saw that. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. You know, everybody tells me that. But, you know, let's see what, let's see what I think. I turn it on. Bo Goodwin is six foot four, 205 pounds. And all I got to say is there are a lot of teams in two years. We've already said this a bunch of times. But there are a lot of teams in two years will look back and, pardon my language, will look back and go, we fucked up. That's what they'll say. Because they'll be wasting time, time, with guys they would have never given the time of day to in the transfer portal. Like the guys in the transfer portal that they would never given the time of day to when they were in high school. They're guys, low potential guys, guys who are not going to take the jump to the NFL because they can't make it. And they're going to waste their time with fillers, a bunch of fillers. They're going to have a team full of fillers. Now a team like Ole Miss, who's just spending like crazy right now, they better win this year or they won't get that money again. But there are a lot of teams in college football right now getting a bunch of fillers. A bunch of a bunch of guys, just guys. And Bo Goodwin, you really don't need to watch that much of his tape to know that this guy deserves way 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 more offers than he has the fact that this guy doesn't have a nebraska offer is shocking for living out in western iowa it's shocking how he does not have a nebraska offer he should have a mizzou offer he should have the kansas schools offer he should you know, keep iowa away from here but this guy i mean he looks like what you would consider a wisconsin linebacker to look like bo goodwin is the most, he has the highest upside NFL potential of this group. The guy who he reminds me of is Fred Warner from the 49ers. I know I'm using a lot of 49ers, but that's because I know, I, I, I know that a lot of the people listening have watched the 49ers a lot here. He reminds me a lot of Fred Warner. Bo Goodwin's going to be all over the field. He's incredibly athletically gifted. Great tackler, makes any tackle. Lateral ability, he can do everything. Like, 
I, and part of, part of my reaction is probably because I'm so astonished, so astonished that only South Dakota State was really after him. Now, he was committed to South Dakota State, and he flipped to Iowa State on the last weekend. This guy's too good for South Dakota State. This guy's way too good for South Dakota State. And you went, <laughs> I hate saying it. He might even be too good for Iowa State. No, I'm not saying that. I'm joking. I'm messing with you. Because I was. We're going to have a podcast soon about how good I think Iowa State could be this year. Oh, boy, buckle up. Bo Goodwin, man. He is a special talent. Special talent. All of these linebackers are better than anybody, really, that we brought in in the Rhodes days. Now, I know that we've had a couple of guys like Jeremiah George and A.J. Klein. Those guys, I view them as they were kind of... Jeremiah George was a little short. And A.J. Klein, coming out of high school, was pretty slow. He got a lot quicker in college. Bo Goodwin is the total package. Like, <laughs> we're going to look back at that weekend. Matt Campbell's right. If anything from that press conference that you're going to listen to, listen to that. Because you're going to look back on that weekend, that weekend specifically, in a couple years when these guys are seniors in college. And you're going to go, all of those guys visited that weekend and nobody else was recruiting them hard. Bo Goodwin is a blue chip prospect. It's really, it, I would just, if, if you're listening to this and going like, well, how is he so good? Pause this, pause this podcast episode. Go turn on his huddle tape. He is wreaking havoc in whatever division of football that is. He has the it factor. He has what I saw with Brock Purdy. He has what I saw with Mike Rose. He has the it factor. And I think that Bo Goodwin is going to be pretty special here at Iowa State, and I'm very excited to see him. Let's talk about a couple of guys who are coming in as preferred walk-ons. I say as coming in as preferred walk-ons because holy smokes. The first guy I want to talk about is Lance McShane. And now I think it's from Maquoketa Valley High School in Delhi, Iowa. This is Caleb Bacon 2.0. Now, I know Caleb Bacon's brother we'll talk about in the next episode. But this is Caleb Bacon 2.0. Because Caleb Bacon's brother plays safety. Lance McShane, when I turned on his tape, I am surprised that he does not have Division I offers. He is a better athlete than Caleb Bacon, but he is... He is an incredible, incredible prospect. An incredible prospect. We would have killed for a guy like this in the Rhodes days. He's another guy. Pause this, pause this podcast. Go watch his huddle tape. He was first team All-State 
in Division 1A at running back. And he's an even better linebacker. I'm really excited for him to come into Iowa State because he's going to be able to give our first-team offense really good looks. He is going to be a great special teams player. And I look for Lance McShane, like I did last year with Drew Surges, and I also thought Caleb Bacon was a really good player when he was coming in. Look for Lance McShane to be another one of those guys who gets a scholarship relatively early. I think if Lance McShane comes in here and impresses, let's give him a scholarship. He's, he's that good. Two other guys that I want to talk about, highlight really quick. I got to be honest with you. Both these guys, I don't really know how to evaluate the, their position. It's Drew Clawson and Drew Doyle. Both of them are long snappers. I I got to be honest, I'm not 100% certain on how to evaluate the long snapping position. But you know what? Both these guys, I'm excited for them to be Cyclones. And that position is so important for Iowa State. Because the way that we play football, we play field position is so important. The kicking game, so important. With how good our defense is, these guys' job is critical. I'm very excited for them to come in, be Cyclones, and I look forward to seeing how, how hard they work and seeing them get on the field. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. That's part three of a four-part series. Well, maybe five parts if you include the superlative episode. But anyway... Let me know what you guys think. Send me a message on Twitter. Send me a message in the Discord. Again, thanks for listening, and go Cyclones. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.